Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Brian. My name's Darren. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a grateful member of the group that meets in Caring Bar, which is in Sydney, uh, the Unity Group in Caring Bar. And um, I'm sober today through God's grace. It's certainly uh, not my power uh, that I'm here with you today, that, that I've been able to stay sober since May the 27th of 1994. Um, I like to say that I was struck sober. Um, there was absolutely... Um, not enough power in me to stay away from alcohol when I arrived in your midst uh, back in those early 90s. And um, I am uh, down here in Sydney. I can see a few others in Sydney. Welcome, fellow countrymen. Uh, thanks for making the journey, even though you're probably bored of my story. Uh, it is Saturday, uh, so I am Zooming to you from the future. Just... Um, uh just stick in the chat uh, to, to myself or some of the other people in Sydney. You know, if you're a bit hard up, want a bit more cash in your life, just ask for tonight's lotto numbers because we've got them for you because uh, we're Zooming to you from tomorrow. And a few of you might even be thinking, oh, gee whiz, I, you know, I really like this guy's accent. Um, uh, I'm here to report that I don't have an accent. Um, I, I'm speaking just normal. It's you people up there that have the accent. So I just look, I, you know, I don't judge. I, I just report. So I'm just reporting in. Um, but a little bit about me. Um, I, I find it really hard to tell my story. I, I'm, I'm one of those drunks that um, intimacy isn't my forte. I'd much rather um, get up on a pedestal and, 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 um, and uh, give a speech about a step or a tradition or uh, anything uh, that isn't me sharing about me uh, for, for whatever reason, in fact, uh, for a few reasons that I'm aware of. But today I've been asked to tell my story, so uh, please bear with me. It's my least favourite thing to do. Um, I, I, I'm one of those drunks who, who I believe um, was an instant alcoholic. Um, I had a lot of problems as a kid. Um, today I probably would have been on Ritalin by about the age of four. Um, I was just absolute psycho, couldn't sit still, running a million miles an hour, always in trouble from, from the youngest that I can recall. Um, and I've always been completely closed off from the rest of the human race. If we rang my mum right now, uh, she's 81, and we asked her, uh, give me two words to describe Darren. She would use these two words, closed book, completely shut off from the rest of the world. Uh, and that's how I always have been my entire life before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And someone handed me uh, some Scotch whiskey and cola mixed in a bottle, 50-50 mix, you sort of pour half of it out, pour a full pint of scotch in and do that, and then you point it to the sky and drink some. And I drank four or five big mouthfuls. And uh, I was 14. I, I probably weighed about 80 pounds. Um, it went off in me like a bomb. 
Uh, it, it went down to my fingertips, out to my uh, toes, um, to the top of my head. Everything just went warm and fuzzy and lovely. I felt okay for the first time in my life. Now, with hindsight, I've, I've, I've got a fairly good idea what happened, but at the time, I, I didn't have words for it. I, I, the, the, the words I used was, <sighs> with hindsight, I, I can see what happened. I, I was always so ashamed, so filled with fear, so filled with self-hatred. And alcohol removed it all, instantly took it all away. And I think, uh, you know, at the time I just, I just thought it made me feel good. But it removed all the things that got in the way of me being who I was meant to be. And I just chased it, chased it like the wind. Uh, I was very sick that night. Um, in Australia, we, we like to say that we drove the porcelain bus home. Um, I drove the porcelain bus home that night. And I remember praying while I was kneeling at that altar, at the porcelain altar, uh, praying, God, uh, don't let this happen again. Uh, I woke up the next day very, very ill. And um, I think we know the next part of the story. If you're on this meeting, you, you've probably got a story very similar to mine because in a few short days I was planning my next drink. Nothing had ever made me feel that way before, and I just chased it uh, with absolute abandonment, yeah? We talk about uh, being obsessive. I was absolutely obsessive around alcohol from the first drink. Um, and what's an obsession? An obsession is a thought that outweighs all other thoughts. I couldn't think about anything else. My mind was just racing 24-7, planning the next drink. And that was me right from the start. I didn't care who was in the way. I didn't care what was in the way. I was going to get that next drink. And at the ripe old age of 14, I didn't have any income. I was still at school. So I needed to get very creative. And I did. Um, by the time I was 15, I was getting drunk four or five times a week. Um, and I thought my alcoholic life was my was the only normal life right from the start. My parents would pull me aside, my school teachers, my bosses, soon police, judges, um, other people in the community would be pulling me aside on a regular basis. When I say regular, weekly or fortnightly basis and telling me that what I was doing wasn't normal. And I would just go, man, what's wrong with you? You've got to get this stuff in here. I don't think you understand how good this stuff is. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm the antisocial type. Um, I'm a quiet as a mouse when I'm not drinking and, and when I get drunk, the number one thing that gets removed is me thinking about what you think about me gets removed. So now I don't give a rat's what you think. I don't care whether you're a policeman, whether you're a judge, whether you're my parents, whether you're my boss. Um, I'm doing whatever the hell I want to do whenever the hell I want to do it from the age of 14 every time I'm drinking. And, you know, I'm stealing cars. 
on breaking into shops. One night we ran out of booze, and I can assure you we didn't run out of booze very often because I found out very early that it was extremely painful any time I ran out of booze. I needed more. Uh, but one night we did, and we kicked in the front glass of a, of a bottle shop, uh, a, a liquor store, and um, me and two of my buddies jumped in. Now, they're clever. They're probably not alcoholic. I mean, they're not that clever if they're robbing liquor stores, but they're cleverer than me, right? And they grab two bottles and run. Not me. I'm flipping lids and drinking in the bottle shop because I really don't care what you think about me anymore. That's the type of drinker I am, yeah? Uh, One night on a dare, uh, I did donuts out the front of a police station to see if they'd come out and chase us. Now, stick around after the meeting. I I can tell you what happened the rest of that evening. It wasn't fun. Yes, they did come out and chase us. Yes, they did catch us. Um, And I can assure you uh, what they did to us wasn't fun. Um, They taught us a real lesson. And uh, so I I can be described as the crash, bash and smash type of drinker. And uh, some of you on the meeting here this evening may think, yeah, that's how I drank. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic too. But I can probably guarantee that there's at least as many people on the meeting tonight that never drank like that at all, that's never been charged with a criminal offence. I was charged with 28 criminal offences between 14 and 21. There's people on the meeting tonight that that may think they never hurt anyone with their drinking. They did all their drinking at home. They lived by themselves. They never harmed a soul. Are they any less alcoholic than me? No. So if the crash, bash and smash isn't alcoholism, what is? What I do when I'm drinking has absolutely nothing to do with alcoholism. It's a firm indication that there's a problem. Now, when the judge said, Darren, there's a real problem here. Like, he was right. (laughs) But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm an alcoholic. I might just be a fruit loop. I'll come back to that point. Towards the end of my drinking, um, I I, I was getting more and more um, separated from the rest of the human race. Um, It's taken me years into sobriety to even admit that I was all alone. Years. Because I was so separate um, and and so filled with pride that, that, you know, my pride heads the list. It was my defence against feeling so separate. I just said, I don't care. I don't care about any of you. I don't need any of you in my life, even though the last five years of my drinking I was all alone. No one turned up at my 21st birthday party, I can assure you. Not one living soul not one living soul came. I was sitting on a crate of beer at my 21st birthday and no one came. My dad came out of the house and sat with me, had a beer and slapped me on the shoulder and said, it'll be okay, son, and went back in the house. There was no one knocking on my door looking for me. Can Darren come out and play? I was that antisocial. I was that alone. Right at the end of my drinking, um, I'm drink driving five, six nights a week. Um, And I don't follow the law, 
I'm, I'm driving on the wrong side of the law, tooting my horn at you because you're in my way, even though you're driving on the right side of the road. So I get charged five times for DWI, three times in rapid succession. I'm in front of a judge and he says, Darren, if you don't do something about your drinking, you're going to jail. And I don't mean little kiddies jail. You're going to go to jail. You're going to do two years in prison if you don't do something about yourself. As I said, I was 21. I looked about 12. Um, I wasn't going to have much fun in prison. And I knew it. I wasn't that stupid. I knew I wasn't going to last. I knew I'd probably make three months and I'd be dead. I got so scared, so desperate, that I actually made a phone call and asked for help. First of all, I fell to my knees in my parents' backyard and screamed for help. I remember exactly what I screamed out. I said, I've had enough. I've had enough. What did I have enough of? The self-inflicted pain, the loneliness, the shame, the self-hatred. It was all back with abandon. All that stuff that I used alcohol to get rid of had been times by 50 and I couldn't get rid of it no matter how drunk I got. went and saw my family doctor the next day and he said, Darren, from what you're describing to me, you sound like a garden variety alcoholic. Have you tried Alcoholics Anonymous? And I said, come on, man, I'm not that bad. I don't know what the hell I thought you guys were, but um, that was my answer. I said, I think there's something wrong with my head. I think I'm insane. And he made a phone call and gave me a slip of paper and he said, this psychiatrist three suburbs away will see you at 2 o'clock if you get over there straight away. How do you get an appointment with a psychiatrist in three hours' time? I think we both know how. I went and saw that psychiatrist. I told him the whole truth. I told him all about all the stories. He said, do you like lighting fires? Yeah, I like lighting fires, you know, all the crazy stuff that I used to do. And he said, look, there's no doubt that you've got some problems, but from where I sit, your biggest problem is you're a garden variety alcoholic if you tried Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, no, I haven't. He goes, look, there's a guy down the hall who specialises in this stuff. Let me see if he's in. He makes a phone call and walks me down the hall to a second psychiatrist on the same day. I'm sitting with this guy and he starts to describe alcoholism and I'm nodding away like there's no tomorrow. He said, are you ready for all this to finish? I said, yeah, I'm ready. And and we made a phone call to the local detox and and, um, checked me in. I remember waking up that morning, getting my bags ready and just not having the courage. Just so filled with fear, terror, terrified. 
And my mum, I lived with my parents. My mum came in and said, can I drive you? And she was a godsend. And this is how I turned up at Detox. I had a little sports bag, little ASICs bag. I don't know whether you remember those little sports bags that we used to carry around in my left hand. You know, my right hand was my mum's hand because she virtually had to walk me in. And it was the early 90s, so I had my beautiful mullet on and uh, I had yellow skin. I had a big black eye because I'd been beat up on the Saturday night and I had roadmaps for eyes and she walked me in. Then the person in the hospital gave me the 20 questions and uh, he said, congratulations, perfect score. You're an alcoholic. I'm going to check you into the hospital here today and over the next seven to ten days we're going to supervise you while alcohol leaves your body. It takes about seven to ten days, he said. He went on to say, but we don't have what you need. I'm like, what? He said, we don't have what you need. We're going to take you to the most successful organisation for treating alcoholism on the planet. We're going to take you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, this is the fourth medical professional in a week to tell me that medicine slash science didn't have what I needed. I don't know. I've got no idea what I need. I'm like, okay. And a few days later, they put me on a bus on the druggy buggy, on the animal bus, and they brought me to you. They brought us to you. And that bus pulled up out the front of that Roselle meeting on the, on the Thursday night. And you all came running out to welcome us. Like it was Christmas morning, like you're opening the presents, you came running out to welcome us. And there was an older lady, I was 21, as I said, older. She could have been 35 for all I know. But in my mind, she's like 75. And uh, she came running out and she stared deep into my soul and she said, welcome. Welcome home. We're so glad you're here. Come on in out of the cold. And she sat with me through that meeting while you shared your stories. We talked about your fear, the terror, the shame, the remorse, the self-hatred. You talked about wanting to stop and not being able to. And as you told your stories, I was crying. Because I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only person like me on the entire planet. See, I had no idea what alcoholism was. I thought alcoholism was some old bloke that lived in the park with a coat who drank all day long. That's what I thought alcoholism was. I was 21. I didn't own a coat and I didn't sleep in the park. So how could I be alcoholic? But that night changed everything. 
not only did you start the journey of of um, helping me to understand what alcoholism was, you're the first group of people that welcomed me in for a very long time. And I said before there was no one looking for me. It's only a half-truth. There were people driving around in blue cars with uniforms on that were looking for me, but no one else was ever looking for me. And that night I found my tribe. Did I stop drinking straight away? No. I kept drinking off and on for the next year. The last time I drank, um, you know, I I did go to court. I did end up having to do um, a variation of of, um, lightweight jail down here we call it weekend detention where you go into the prison for the weekend and they let you out during the week to go to work believe it or not Um, and I did that for a year and it was really 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 hard I was always terrified I was literally losing time through fear I was blacking out through fear through terror while I was going in and coming out I was just such a Child, I was a five-year-old child locked in a 21-year-old's body when I arrived. But I kept coming through thick and thin. What I thought I heard was don't drink and come to meetings and everything would be okay. That's what I thought I heard. I don't think that's what they were saying, but that's, that's what I thought I heard. And I did that um, and drank again at 34 days. I came back and redoubled my efforts. I went, now I'm doing four or five meetings a week um, and drank again at 56 days. You know, I said, that's it. I'm never, ever drinking again and gritted my teeth and clenched my fists. I even got a sponsor in a home group and I made my absolute world's record nine and a half months and drank again. And two days before I drank again, I'm in the car riding home with my sponsor and I told him, you know what? I got it this time. I've really got it this time. I'm never going to drink again. Now, I think he said something like, I don't think it works like that. (laughs) Um, But I was drunk two days later. And I went back to detox eventually and into a rehab and uh, rang this guy in my home group. And we've all got that guy in our home group, yeah, A lot of the time they're carrying these things around with them, yeah. They're talking to lots of people before and after the meetings. They're sitting right down the front. They're involved in service. They're probably putting the chairs out or stacking them up or doing the coffee. Talked a lot about the steps and about his experience of the higher power and how he'd uh, been altered. I'd never spoken once to that guy. He was too scary. Guess who I rang? I rang that guy. I rang him after my last drink because that's how scared I was that I was going to go back to where I was. And he said, Darren, why did you drink again? And I said, Pete, to be completely honest, mate, which means every other time I've ever said anything to anyone else, I've been lying. To be completely honest, Pete, (laughs) I don't know. I just don't know. And it was like the line went dead. I said, Pete, are you there? Blank. 
Pete. Hello, Pete. Pete. Blank. Hello, Pete. And he eventually said, oh, sorry, mate. Sorry. I passed out. I went, oh, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm okay now. It's, it's just, it's the first time we've ever heard you say, I don't know. He emphasised the point that I was a know-it-all, that I was blocking you from giving me any information by saying, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Do the steps, yeah, I know, get a sponsor, yeah, I know. I wasn't letting anything in because that's the way I'd always lived. I'd never asked for help because that's the way I'd always lived. He said, Darren, I've watched you every time I've seen you in, in a meeting for the last year. You're a really good kid. Your heart's in the right place. But this thing's going to kill you anyway. Keep going the way you're going. You're going to be dead in five years. Alcoholism isn't a respecter of anyone. It'll take all of you out, whether you're a good guy or not. Because the program of recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous isn't for people who need it. It's not even for people who want it. It's for the people who do it. They're the ones that get well. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to find a home group. I want you to walk up to the front, talk to the secretary and say, I'm a member of this group. Can you please give me a job? I want you to find a sponsor. I want you to say to that sponsor, can you please lead me through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm going to die and I need your help. And that's exactly what I did. I've never had a drink since. It's 27 and a half years ago and I've never had a drink since. As I said at the start, clearly it wasn't my power. Clearly I couldn't stay stopped. I did everything I thought I, I could to stay away from that drink and resentment booted up my obsession for alcohol and I drank against my will. I promise you that we'd um, circle back on um, the question that I posed right at the start. If the crash, bash and smash of the way I drink isn't alcoholism, then what is? What is? Fortunately, I was approached by a man who was properly armed with facts about himself and he took me through the 12-step program of recovery from alcoholism, which is the only program of uh, recovery offered in Alcoholics Anonymous. He gave me a strong step one experience. Today I understand that I can't stop when I start and I can't stop from starting again. To break that down, every time I take the first drink, it sets off an allergic reaction and I can't stop myself once I start. And every time I decide that I don't want to drink today, this year, this week, for the rest of my life, something happens in my brain and I start obsessing about the good stuff that alcohol used to bring me. And I can't turn it off. I don't know how to. And I can tell you the last time I drank, I didn't drink because I chose to drink. I drank against my will. The disease of alcoholism commandeered my thinking 
convinced me to drink against my will using my own voice. So I thought it was me. I thought I changed my mind, but it wasn't me. It was the obsession for alcohol. And I know that to be true because, as I said two days earlier, I was telling my sponsor I was never, ever going to drink again. And I meant it with everything that was in my heart and soul. But I had no defence. So what's happened in the last 27 and a half years? For one, I haven't been back to prison. Yay! (laughs) There's a win. Yeah. Uh, There's been a few times where I probably should have. Um, but sober, I haven't been caught for stuff. Um, and it's not like I've been, um, you know, actively, uh, pursuing a criminal career. I haven't, but in early parts of my sobriety, uh, my old behavior continued on. I would still steal. I would still drive my car too fast. I don't know what the law is in North America, But down here, if you drive your vehicle about 30 miles an hour faster than the posted speed limit, that's a crime in Australia, right? So I've done that on occasion. So I have committed criminal offences in Australia. Fortunately, um, I'm a little closer to driving Miss Daisy at the ripe old age of 50 than what I was when I arrived. Um, I don't engage in antisocial behaviour today. What a miracle. That might not sound miraculous to you, but to me, it's a miracle. I find, I found with hindsight that the greatest gift that I've been given was the surrender because nothing else was possible until I made that phone call to Peter and surrendered and told him the truth. Everything else was born out of that moment. God was able to get in because of that moment. My sponsor was able to get in because of that moment. And I finally accepted that I had the disease of alcoholism, that I can't stop when I start and I can't stop from starting, and that's step one. And step two is our solution. I don't have any power. That's the problem. And step two is, well, power, you better go and get some power from somewhere. And AA doesn't even care where I get it from, so long as I find some power that helps me to not drink. And I can remember some crazy stuff in Sydney when I was new. Um, you know, my, my sponsor was a bit nuts as well. He said, um, I want you to uh, walk out onto the beach at low tide and as the tide turns and comes in, I want you to try and hold the tide back. You'll soon find out that the ocean is a power greater than you. Handy information. We had a guy, um, Alan might remember, we had a guy uh, who lives around Leichhardt somewhere in in the inner west and he he used to talk about one of the buses being his higher power. It was an express bus from the city and he caught it home from work every day and because it was an express bus, he passed about 15 bars without stopping and he said, That's something that I can't do. It's a power greater than me. And that bus, call it the X-52 bus or whatever it was, became his higher power. Whatever works. I love Star Wars. So I became a Jedi Knight. 
because I thought that was cooler than being a Catholic or a Buddhist or whatever, and I wanted to be original and started to pray to the force of nature. And in some way, shape or form, um, I'm still praying to that higher power today. The prayers might have changed slightly. I don't get on my knees begging, bawling my eyes out, please, God, keep me sober today. But I have um, continuing issues in my life that I continue to take to the higher power. I have additional surrenders um, that I've been blessed with. I don't feel like a blessing at the time. At at five years sober, I I met a young lady at an AA conference. That's where you meet all the great uh, wives at AA conferences. And um, we got pregnant really fast. Um, I I can remember being puzzled about that. um, And someone once said to me, well, were you using contraception? I went, no. And they went, well, maybe that's why. Um, Maybe that's why you got pregnant. Um, and being a good little Catholic boy, I asked her to marry me and we got married. And we were both really unwell. Um, I still suffered from all, all sorts of um, not just character defects, uh, you know, really mental illness, um, uh, a, a complete inability to be... Um, a man amongst men, a person amongst persons, even in a marriage, just completely unable. And um, so it was a, a difficult time and at six months pregnant, we were presented with a stillbirth. And we looked at each other's in the eyes and, and we agreed that, that, you know, that there might be something worth salvaging in the marriage and we stayed together and got pregnant again and, Um, Wouldn't you know it, six months later, we were presented with the second stillbirth and the marriage ended and um, at six or seven years sober, I was all alone. I was in this house with no furniture, rocking backwards and forwards, bawling my eyes out in the fetal position, wondering what the hell had gone wrong. And I rang my sponsor. And it was like my first meeting. You all came. You asked me whether I'd eaten. I I didn't remember. You took me out for a feed. You took me to a meeting. You sat with me. You sat with me through that over the next 12 months while I grieved and it was the first time I'd ever grieved in my entire life I didn't know what it was had no clue but you sat with me all the way through that and a couple of years later Jody and I met and we've been married now we've been together for over 20 years and 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 married for 16 years and um, 17 years almost, and um, that's been a rocky ro- road as well. Um, and I remember someone whispering in my ear once, which I didn't appreciate, the reason why you haven't got kids is because God doesn't want you to have any. 
There is a line. And of course, when Jody and I got to mar- together, we couldn't have kids either. And looking up at the sky because I had this year. I wanted to be a dad. I desperately wanted to be a dad. And thanks to the miracle of modern science, we've been able to have two gorgeous kids. And Archie's 13 years old and Charlotte's 10 and um, hasn't been perfect, but, man, step change, very much a step change from one generation to the next, let me tell you that. Um, I'm adopted. Um, I remember finding my natural mother, my birth mother, um, when I was really, um, really early in this sobriety and, and for some reason not not having a desire to find my natural father very quickly. And um, I, I remember um, at about, I don't know, 2009, maybe 15 years sober, I was struck with this desire to find him. I thought I should give him at least an opportunity to meet the great me, right? So I start hunting him down. I find him. I dial his number. I ring him. I've got Archie on my lap who's six months old and Jody's at work. And I ring this guy and I tell him who I am, tell him who my mum is. I tell him who I am. And he just said, yeah, I heard some crapola about this way back in the day. Yeah, he was drunk. I said, well, anyway, I was just ringing to let you know that I'm here in case you ever want to have a relationship. If not, that's okay. He goes, all right, well, I've got your number now, mate. Okay, bye, and hangs up the phone. And it was a beautiful Saturday morning, um, sort of 10.30, uh, springtime in Sydney, and, and I remember the sun streaming in through the through the vine that we had on the front of the house. And I looked down at Archie and I said, Arch, I don't know what a good dad is, but I just, I think I just found out what a bad dad is. I'm going to be the best dad I can ever be. And I've got to tell you, I've done my absolute best in the last 13 years and it's been a ride. I've absolutely loved it, loved every minute of it. The connection that I get to have, the fact that they um, really push me to the limit at times uh, to grow, um, to finally surrender around a couple of issues again, around control, um, to, to be back um, sitting on the edge of, of my sponsor's um, bed at an AA retreat Uh, a few years ago and telling him how I was raging at my son and him saying, well, do you think you can stop? I went, no, I think I'm powerless. He goes, really? He said, well, if the chief of police was sitting there next to you when you were raging at your son, do you think you would have done it? And I said, no. He said, all right. He said, well, if the if the president or the mayor or, or or you know the leader of your government was in the room with you while you were doing that, do you think you would have done it? 
I said, no. He said, well, I don't think you're powerless. I just think you need to ask for God's help and stop doing it. Haven't done it since. Ask God for help. I need to do that on a daily basis. You see, I can't get so sober that I won't get drunk again. There's no graduation in Alcoholics Anonymous. I need to continually surrender to the truth. The truth is by myself, I'm a drunk. By myself, I'm going to amount to nothing. There's no graduation in Alcoholics Anonymous. All this information we've been saying today about the steps, it's great. It's essential. I think I need a strong step one experience. It's essential, but it's not enough. What I need is to get plugged into the power. If I'm not surrendered, I won't plug in. If I'm running on pride, I won't plug in. I've gone months and years at a time without wanting to plug in, running on my own ego, running on my own pride and not even knowing it. I found out that if I don't take action grounded in our solution, what's our solution, the 12-step program of recovery? If I don't take action grounded in our solution, alcoholism will take action on me, and it has. It's nearly walked me out the door a number of times. There was one particular occasion at seven years sober where I made a decision to drink again. And I started to walk back to the bar where I'd just left. Fortunately, it was 15 minutes away. And in that 15 minutes, I got a moment of clarity and saw that alcoholism had commandeered my brain again and I was about to drink. I don't know how much AA I need to do to keep it at bay, so I just do everything. I'm a member of a home group. I do service at the area. I'm on two conference committees. I sponsor more people than I should at times. I've got three phone calls every single morning with with three different sponsees um, lined up one after the other. I start my day listening to other people's problems and all of my problems die of neglect. I don't have any problems today except for the ones created in my head. There's lots of them. But what I'm saying is they're not real. They're all a figment of my ego's imagination. Its goal is to separate me, to one-out me and start talking to me in the car park about how I need to drink again. Its biggest fear is it will become superfluous. But I need to learn how to ignore it. I can't listen to it. It feeds me crap. I don't fight it. I just have to ignore it. I have to turn it into the junior partner. God has to be the senior partner. Do I do that every day? Am I really good at it? No. (laughs) These are perfect sort of goals that I have for myself that I want to get to. Perfection isn't the goal in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have to get that P word out of my vocabulary and replace it with persistence. 
every day write a gratitude list, every day talk to a few drunks, every day do something in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I miss a day, shake it off and start again with persistence. I talk a lot about the program of recovery, the 12-step program of recovery from alcoholism that's offered in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I say it like that for a reason. Because in 1930, when Roland Hazard went to see Carl Jung, one of the most famous psychiatrists on the planet, Carl Jung said, I've never seen one single case recover from alcoholism. You see, before the 12-step program of recovery from alcoholism, there was no solution for people like you or me. Send an email to Drew. He'll send you a a history talk, it confirms that there's been people like you and me for 9,000 years who've been kicked to the curb, the last, the lost and the least. Without a solution. The solution offered in Alcoholics Anonymous as described in the forward to the second solution is a wholesale miracle. Carl Jung said to Roland Hazard, I've heard of twos and threes that have gotten sober. I've been trying to bring about this spiritual rearrangement within you, but I don't know how to do it. Inside this book is how to do it. All I've got to do is follow the directions, get with someone who's done it and ask them for help. It seems simple. (laughs) But I complicate everything. My pride steps in, my fear steps in. A little while ago, um, I'm a self-pity guy. I don't know whether you're a self-pity type of people or not, but I'm the self-pity type of guy. That's where I go when I'm having a bad day. I remember ringing my sponsor, who's uh, Bob Bazance from St Paul, and ringing him and... um, and telling him how bad I was doing and how I'm a loser and a fool and an idiot and how, you know, at the in my 40s and don't own my own home and I'm, I'm never going to be financially secure and I'm wasteful and a, and a deal and an idiot. And blah, 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 blah. I'm an egomaniac. And he just told me to shut up. He said, just shut up. It's my job to provide you with feedback. Can I provide you with feedback? I said, okay, Bob. He said, Darren, from where I sit, you're right on track. You're right on time. You're already enough. You don't need to be any more than you already are. There's absolutely nothing missing. God loves you exactly the way you are, perfectly imperfect, and God doesn't make junk. It's arrogant and impolite of you to resent God's handiwork. God's already forgiven you for everything. It's time you accept that forgiveness and get on with it. The process of recovery is the process of uh, of subtraction, not addition. You don't need to become anything for you to be okay. You're already okay. 
process of recovery is unbecoming all the things that aren't the real you, having all of that fall away. In the immortal words of Eminem, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? That's what's asked of me in recovery. Don't hide your fire under a bushel. Get up, get into it, and be you. Ask God to remove the fear and get up, get into it, and be the real you. That's what I try to do. Now, I know at the beginning of the meeting, Brian, you asked if there's anyone in their first meeting. Um, I'm sure there might be some people here today in their first month and I'd like to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous if you're an alcoholic it's my belief that you're in the right room I'd like to encourage you to get right into the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous the wolves can't get to the sheep that are in the middle the wolves pick off the boundary riders the sick and lame boundary rider sheep they can't get to the sheep right in the middle wedge yourself right into the middle of your home group no one can kick you out it's yours it's your home so please Get right into the middle of your home group, get a commitment, get a sponsor and get to work on the 12-step program of recovery from alcoholism because there is no other program of recovery from alcoholism offered in Alcoholics Anonymous. The meetings are where we find sponsors. It's not where I go and complain about my day. So please jump on the pony Hold on real tight, kick like hell, because you're in for the ride of your life. If you're an alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous is the greatest show on earth. My life has been transformed beyond anything I can describe. There's a reason why there's these things called spiritual mystics that somehow are able to write about spiritual matters, and there's not many of them. It's because it's really hard. But my spirit's been awoken here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been transformed into the person that I was always meant to be. And I'm grateful for you who kept the doors open, who brought the message to me, who loved me back to life. God bless. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.